0: Yeah, it's trying to link link the book to um, tokens so that when you get the NFT, that also means that you'll be on a list and then I'll actually physically ship you um, one of these hardbacks and the number of the NFT will correspond to the number on the actual signed print run. So, you know, if you buy number one, you get book number one and so on and so forth.
1: Hmm. Look at you trying to talk like you nearly know what you're talking about.
0: I know, yeah, yeah. It almost sounds plausible. You're, almost sounds like I know what I'm talking about.
1: You're the last person I thought would have been interested in NFTs, but I suppose it's the gambling aspect, isn't it?
0: Well, that's it. I mean, there's two things. First of all, you got like the, degen- the degenerate gambling aspect, and then secondly, you've got what it can mean for like art and everything else. So, like everyone else, you got initially drawn in by like you know the shiny casino, but the more you kind of think about it, you realise that it can completely change the way, like art and is distributed and completely get rid of the whole like infrastructure of middlemen.
1: I saw an article earlier. I was going to post it in in Discord, and I forgot who it was. Now, mm-hmm. some some famous authors releasing their next book on Substack.
0: Yeah, yeah, all these things. Unsurprising. That seems to be the way the way to go because yeah you just the way the old structure works is you're just losing so much money per every unit sold you get such a little tiny slice of the pie even though you've kind of built your name yourself so if you can then just take your name and use one of these other channels then yeah even if you sell a lot less units you're making so much more money and you've got so much more artistic freedom that yes yeah, i think everything's going to go this way
1: it's salman rushdie Salman Mm -hmm. Rushdie is writing his next book on Substack.
0: Yeah. Yeah, That makes perfect sense.
1: And then the the other one I saw a couple of weeks ago as well, I don't know who he is, but it just popped up, is Mm -hmm. um, a Batman writer, so a comic book writer. He's left DC and he's started a Substack.
0: Yeah, same thing. That's going to be the way it's going to go. And NFT and that whole ecosystem is just the next logical step of that same Progression because you've got even more control and even less... I'd um, like a chain sort of there holding you. So, yeah, it's just going to be the way things are going to go more and more.
1: But what about physical stuff and what about analog stuff? This is what you used to always talk about.
0: <laughs> but this is, this is the thing. I mean, I was kind of... Um, yeah, I was kind of racking my brain initially just thinking, yeah, if like, I completely turned to the dark side here. But I think... <laughs> I think what it is is you've got these things, um, are a means of distributing physical things. So it doesn't have to be a contradiction. Like what you're selling doesn't have to be a JPEG. It doesn't have to be, um, just anything digital. You can still tie that in with physical things.
1: Hmm. I was thinking about it earlier. Cause I, I'm, I don't know if you've read the book called the image. Um, nah, no, I have luck. it's, uh, I've forgotten who is by now. It's uh, let me have a look before I say anything else. Uh, come on, what's it called? It's a really old book. Well, I say really old. It's about fifty years old or something. Um, and the and the book is that's it. Daniel Boston. Hold on, my cat. <laughs> <laughs> come on! Come on! obviously he's fucked off now um yeah it's it's a it's kind of well it's mentioned in uh, amusing ourselves to death by neil postman Mm -hmm. quite a few times and the the book is about this idea of pseudo events so it it talks about when yeah yeah,
0: i've read i've read that yeah 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 yeah.
1: it talks about when we move to an image based society rather than a, Mm -hmm. a words based society but there's it talks about pseudo events a lot and i was thinking about them and It got me thinking about them in terms of NFTs and I've just been pondering them over this last couple of days and thinking, does an NFT actually devalue the art in the end? Because it isn't about the art. It's about Mm -hmm. owning the art. The pseudo event is now owning the art and you're the exclusive Mm -hmm. owner of the thing rather than it being about Having the art, do you know what I mean? So it, yeah, 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 It's like an it's like another level of pseudo events where it is it's it, like a
0: further abstraction from reality. I mean,
1: yeah. It, mm. it, forget whether it's digital or analog. I don't really care about that. But it mm. it's it's like the the reason for owning the piece of work isn't to enjoy it. I'm sure it is for some people, but right now it's kind of a bull rush of owning whatever whatever you think is going to sell and i i I just i just wonder yeah that's great so creators are going to be able to get paid properly for the work and i do think it's going to be you know a new revenue stream Mm -hmm. but but i worry that it kind of distorts the relationship between the art and and the work do you know what I mean? I don't know if I'm completely yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm completely off with that yet. But
0: No, it, it like I to say it's definitely a possibility and this is August so brand new that no one knows whatever we say, whatever we sort of speculate is entirely guesswork, you know, completely guesswork. But I think the way that I see it, or a way that it could go, is that obviously at the moment it's just a casino It's just sort of tulip mania. The whole idea is um yeah, because people rushing in, trying to make money, trying to flip things. And yeah, that's. I guess that's generally not a good thing. However, I think all of that is almost like this kind of Trojan horse where through that, lots of sort of interest in um, tech and new kind of ways of approaching the whole distribution of art kind of coming off the back of that. So the initial mania, that'll fade. You know, that'll probably fade really quite soon. And it, the idea of spending millions on like you know pictures of rocks or whatever that's gonna clearly fade really soon but like i said at the back of this you get this whole potential new distribution model and way of just um yeah like sort of interacting with fans it's kind of like you know you've got the whole um discord community culture and sub and things like this we've been talking about but it's just the next level of that because people who um buy into your stuff can kind of invest in you directly i think through that potentially some people can make some interesting things happen
1: yeah i was thinking about it the other day because have you have you seen the bored apes thing Mm -hmm. yeah the 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 bored ape yacht club commonly known these days as bayc is is just ridiculous in terms of money the Mm -hmm. the organization has been set up for four months, and they, uh-huh. they've made hundreds of millions of dollars in four months. There, there uh-huh. is, there is no company that's ever existed in history, well, in recorded history, that has made that much money in such a short period of time,
2: uh-huh.
1: and for 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 essentially making nothing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, yeah. you know, our artwork, quote-unquote artwork, but a lot of it's uh, digitally generated as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they they had the elements, and they're all computer-generated to be put together. Some of them are rarer than others, so people hunt those out. So that even the art element is... Well, in a purist sense, the art element is kind of deep down in it too. So you look at this kind of situation with... Uh, with the Bored Apes, and you think, mm-hmm. "Fuck, this is the first time in history where a company has made hundreds of millions from hype, basically." Mm-hmm. And th- this this has been talked about for a long time. The uh, I can't remember what book it was that I was reading, but we've basically turned from being in marketing nobody leads with the product features anymore it's the marketing that sells the product so you can have the worst mm-hmm. you can have the worst product but the marketing if your marketing is better you will sell more than the better product and now it's it's like the extreme of that where you don't even yeah. ha- you don't even have the product it's all about the marketing it's I- pure
0: hype yeah it's pure nemesis, yeah definitely
1: yeah i wonder what luke's thinking about all this
0: <laughs> yeah i mean this is just like I don't know if this is like his worst nightmare, if this is just his ultimate example of being like, look, I told you something. This is exactly what happens. It happens every time. Um,
1: it, feel, it feels like id-mimesis. Do you, do you know what I mean? It feels yeah. like id-brain, pure id-brain manifested in, a, in an internet trend. I've never I've never seen it this extreme I guess it's the yeah. mon- I guess it's the money thing that's drove so many people to it, and it really does, even though I've known about NFTs for a while, it seems to have mm-hmm. exploded over these last couple of weeks mm. for some reason.
0: But yeah, I mean, I don't know, I guess if you just look at the um, time leading up to it, like everyone's been pretty much locked in the house for a year and a half um all having some sort of varying degrees of existential crisis. And then you've got some, yeah, some sort of instrument where you can potentially make like not only ridiculous money, but in like a absurdly short length of time, I think everyone just collectively lost their minds, yeah. which, you know, I mean, 99.9% of people are obviously going to lose their shirts, but <laughs> like, and, and that's the thing. I think, I think for me, it's just trying to separate the hype from the, Possibility because all the hype is just absolutely uh, a sort of crescendo right now. I don't think that's going to last much longer necessarily. And when we're talking about sort of the future for creative people, it's not the chance that you can make massive money. You know, if you're especially if you're sort of creating, if you like, proper art as opposed to, you know, the kind of um, JPEGs that are currently in vogue. So it's not necessarily a question of being able to hop onto that train, but I think because of all the possibilities that NFTs and contracts and this kind of thing potentially allow, it just affords a much more, I suppose, free way of um, sort of distributing art. I think that's what's more interesting. Yeah, the hype will come and go, but I think the stuff sort of behind that is what's more interesting in the long term.
1: Mm. I I agree. I I tweeted earlier that I I think it's – the first time in my 16 year career that I can remember where if, if you're a, a, a designer, like a, mm-hmm. a a commercial creative, you, you can make a legitimate income from your work without selling your time. And exactly. Yeah. I mean, there, there is other ways to do that and there's been other ways to do that for a really long time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but this is, it's, this is kind of direct fan to fan. Uh, well, creator to fan relationship where you can say i've made this single one-off or selection of pieces Mm -hmm. and they can go away and buy it and it, it feels the the way that it's had to work for a lot of people for a long time not just in design is that it's you you only build that capital through years of experience yeah now it's almost become the same thing uh, as I was mentioned earlier about hype, if you've got the ability to generate hype and uh, you have a personality and you've got the ability to get people to rally around you quickly, you can potentially make a decent living from this kind of thing without needing to suffer for 10 years before you get to it. Mm-hmm. That's what's quite interesting with it.
0: Yeah, it makes you wonder how... Um how sustainable that is because if you can attract people so quickly by the other side of the coin, people will suddenly go off you for the next, for the next hype thing. So you wonder if it will eventually sort of level off and then things like more um, objective talent and having spent all those years learning a skill, if that will start to slowly like reintroduce itself and and the thing will be sort of normalized to a degree. Hmm. Cause I guess the reason why we're talking about it, like we say, is because it's such a hyped-up thing, but I think the hype will disappear, and then it will actually come into its own as a much more viable medium, I suppose.
1: Because mm. a lot of the stuff that's around now, like, have you have you seen the Mirror thing? The Mirror website?
0: I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, uh, I think it's mirror.xyz. and mm. it. It, the idea of it is you can make a magazine that is totally owned by your viewers or readers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So each issue that you put out may have several NFTs inside it and you all part by part of that uh, NFT and then your, your subscribers or readers or whatever way you do it essentially make a bit of money from every issue that you do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's also terribly confusing right now. And it's also alien to to anybody that kind of understands this. So I haven't really seen it take off. And I've seen a couple of magazines out there and a couple of people who've got access to Mirror.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it feels a little bit like trying to NFT writing. And what a lot of these uh, magazine type things usually do is they make images as well and they NFT the images instead. Mm-hmm. It, I guess, this is part of a challenge. What you're trying to solve, it feels like trying to NFT writing doesn't work. It, 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 do, it doesn't feel, mm-hmm. ri- it doesn't feel right. I, I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe I'm trying to work out a way to do it as well because I'm thinking about when I publish a newsletter, I'm thinking about working out a way to NFT that newsletter. But what I was thinking about it was. It isn't the desire to sell it necessarily mm-hmm. that issue. What it does is it permanently puts that piece of writing on the blockchain. So I, I made it basically, and that can mm-hmm. be look, that can be looked back in time in per- perpetu- perpetuity, in perpetuity. Perfect. That can be looked back at and proven that I wrote that article when I did. So I I can make an NFT of every single piece of work that i've done and it proves that it was me that did it Mm -hmm. not necessarily to sell it but you know it kind of makes a time capsule of that thing that i made then but i haven't really seen anybody yet make any kind of writing nfts i don't know how that looks
0: yeah i I mean there's every chance that it's not really possible or viable but i think I think for me, even way before all this, I've always been sort of interested in like limited um, print runs and hardbacks and things that are numbered and signed and all this kind of thing anyway. And I guess that kind of lends itself um, to a degree. And I think that's certainly worth um, looking at and having a go, if not only for a a bit of a novelty. But yeah, I don't think you can just randomly NFT everything because that's just sort of playing into the, hype mechanism again that is a, that's sort of like a short term cash grab play I suppose but I think what a lot of these things um, can do is they can be used for like access to communities you know your kind of ticket to get into something
2: mm-hmm.
0: kind of like we've going on with the discord and that seems more interesting and viable you know actually being, actually being able to have um, more of a yeah, more of a fan base that you're actually um, directly in touch with rather than them being some sort of abstraction, which I guess is what can happen with the traditional publishing model. You know, you're publishing books, but you don't actually know who's reading them. You've got no connection. I guess these kind of things allow um, yeah, allow that to happen. And like I say, that's more interesting. That's more viable, and that's probably more actually useful for both parties but yeah i don't think just randomly trying to make written things into nfts for that sake is yeah necessarily a viable play i don't know
1: i think we, we're moving more and more away as we get further and further towards this we're moving more and more away from this whole idea of writer publisher relationship
0: mm-hmm. and yeah this is what this is what interests me to do with all this yeah the breaking down of those kind of relationships um, so the breaking down of those structures to form actual direct relationships.
1: There's so many ways to publish things now that's direct mm-hmm. that's direct that you just don't excuse me, you just don't need the gatekeeper anymore. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I can think of just those two examples I said earlier, and even another one that popped into my mind, whether you love him or hate him, Dominic Cummins, he mm-hmm. he left the government in the UK, you know, he's a pretty hated figure in the UK. He did one or two interviews about his experience in the government and he could have signed a book deal, but he didn't. He's got a Substack. Substack, yeah. He's got a paid Substack instead that you pay $10 a month off. I don't know if it's in pounds actually, but it's just a subscription thing. Um, mm-hmm. And you get whatever things in his head that week instead of the idea of him working probably with a ghost writer i uh, doubt he'd probably write his book if you've ever read any of his writing it's absolutely terrible <laughs> um so he owns everything rather than it being with the publisher and him making a a slightly small percentage of it and i don't know if i don't know if the the illusion of being a published author is broken it feels like it has or it is doing that's
0: the- That's the last thing, that's the only real thing that publishers can absolutely empirically offer you that you can't do yourself is just that thing of being a published author, of having the logo on the spine and being in physical shops, that is it. There's nothing else that you can't either figure out for yourself, yeah, make happen for yourself, or that's largely irrelevant.
1: It it really got burst, the, the bubble... Fairly recently for me when I was talking to somebody that was in publishing and they were talking about buying up all the copies when when it came out to make sure it went on the bestseller list. Yeah. Uh, and then I looked at the actual bestseller lists and f- how many copies you needed to get to get on the bestseller list. They were way lower than I ever expected. It's not them. that many, is it? No. Uh, and 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 then I saw all this and thought, this idea of being a published author, once you actually know, it it isn't what it appears to be, uh, but a lot of people still kind of revere you. If you are a published author, it's a very weird situation. Mm. Are you? Do you want to hunt for that? You're not bothered.
0: No. Not no, not in the slightest. Mm. Just because, um, yeah. Other than that kind of ego satisfaction, I just don't really see. What it offered, because if your goal, which is my goal, is just kind of make a viable living at this, if you look at the percentages you get from the legacy model versus the percentages you make yourself, they're just so diametrically opposed that the amount of actual units you need to shift, as someone is doing the substack route or whatever, is not that many. Whereas with the legacy model, you get a pretty small advance. And then, you know, like a year, a good year or so down the line, when it actually, revenue rolls around to you, you get something like 10% of the face cost of the book. Whereas even on Amazon, more is it like 60% or something, isn't it? 70%. Mm-hmm. And I think with Substack, it's even more than that. When you look at the Substack and the Stripe deduction, you're getting more, more like 80% of everything for yourself.
1: Well, the... The advantage of Amazon as well is that you can sell in other places. Mm-hmm. You, you're not exclusive to that publisher because you know they're not a publisher. So exactly, yeah, you can go on and sell in other places and do other things and make NFTs of things if you wanted to or any other future ideas that you have.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because I find that what tends to happen is that when you have um, when you have an idea that comes to mind, you just want to run with it. And just get it out there quickly and do something with it, and you can um yeah play with these various ideas, whereas with the legacy models, you hand this thing in, goes through all the edits, goes through all the cover process the release date everything else, and yeah from the time you hand it in to the time it actually appears is like a year or something
1: mm. and then do often do they own the copyright of it as well? You basically... Oh, yeah, absol-
0: absolutely, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. you've lost it, basically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You've handed in your homework and it belongs to somebody else now. Exactly. Yeah. That's... So ri- it, 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 that's shit. So
0: it's, liter- it's literally just the book in the shop that's what is offered. Mm. Yeah. And it's the same with music and things like this as well, you know? it's does it, equivalent things if you're go the normal route in film, let's say, if you're a filmmaker. It's all the same variations of this. It's real sort of 20th century mogul, uh, very top-down kind of thing. And, yeah, I guess why people are so excited by NFTs and all these other things we're talking about is that it just completely circumvents all that.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, we truly live in the time now where you can completely build an audience online. It be mm-hmm. it be one hundred percent yours, and then you sell things to them. Yeah, that's a cynical way of looking at it, but it's a pure a pure way that it's possible for pretty much anybody with a bit of talent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty magical.
0: Yeah, and then I don't necessarily think that um, I think the cynicism just comes when you get burned out by that traditional model and just become quite jaded. Whereas um, I think if you're kind of doing it your own way, all you need to do is reach this level where what you earn monthly is just the equivalent of a day job. And you have to get to do this full time. And then that's going to unlock so much energy that you can make all kinds of things. You know, you'll suddenly find yourself becoming more prolific and because you're getting so much more of a share of each copy sold, that means you need a smaller audience. That means you don't have to have such a broad appeal which means you can make more interest in niche stuff. Mm. So you kind of become less cynical and more of a purist once you hit that threshold.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. So how how's it going for you on Substack, doing more more than you did before?
0: Um, yeah, yeah, it's going... Like I say, it's going, um, it's going all right at the moment, I think, because I'd spent a year... Yeah, a year doing like one a week, I'd completely gotten into the rhythm of that. And yeah. I think I think as you all know, the more that you kind of create things, not only do you get better, but you get quicker as well. So actually being able to make more of an output became viable and yeah, yeah, still going well, you know, still still plowing away
1: you finally come round to my way of looking at it of just just doing so much that you eventually this is, becomes this easier. is the
0: weird this is the weird thing it feels like you were way over here I was way over <laughs> here and we slowly started to meet in the middle on a lot of things
1: yeah i, I was watching a documentary about bob ross last night it's on <laughs> it's on, oh, yeah. it's, on netflix, it's on netflix by the way hmm. um uh, the the documentary wasn't that good it was a typical netflix thing where they give you a uh, they give you a controversial thing at the very beginning and then they don't reveal it until an hour in. But what was quite interesting, and I saw a lot of parallels with kind of what you and I do, and I just never even considered it, is that, so for a start, he, he filmed something like 17 seasons uh, right. of The Joy of Painting. And what really surprised me is that every single one of them was done in one take. Oh shit! Really? So, so yeah, maybe not one take. So maybe he he did it and it fell off the easel and he had to start again. But mm-hmm. every single painting he did, he actually did in twenty four minutes. So, so what you are seeing when you're following it, it's live. It's actually live. So, the and, and he sometimes he used to film three to five episodes a day.
2: Wow.
1: He was super fucking prolific. Uh, and the reason he'd got to that level is because he'd spent. Uh, he talks a little bit about it in the documentary. He used to be up till sometimes four a.m. practicing painting and things like that, and he got his technique down so well for for drawing landscapes and things like that that he could he could do an amazing looking landscape and also describe exactly how he was doing it to you in 24 minutes. It's
0: yeah, it's incredible.
1: Yeah, you don't ever you don't ever watch bob ross really and consider him to be an accomplished artist do you know what i Mm -hmm. mean like like a real practitioner about what 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 he was doing a real professional uh, you know at the top of his game but he absolutely was after i watched that documentary i never even realized because the fakery of television makes you think that it isn't going to be real
0: you're suspicious yeah of course
1: yeah um and it really surprised me because it's just that thing again, The doing it over and over and over, you just become so far better than anybody else that it, it opens up an endless amount of opportunities to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You can do things so much quicker and to a higher level, or maybe not a higher level, but you can do things so much quicker to the same high level that takes somebody else three days that the time that it takes you to do it, in this case 24 minutes, means that the output you can put out just blows everybody else out of the mm-hmm. water. And um, I'm com- I'm still convinced of it now that ultimately it's about the output. Mm-hmm. U- ultimately, there's got to be a level of quality, obviously. And I think it comes from the output eventually. But I think ultimately you have to be incredibly prolific to get to that point. I don't think that model works where you can work on a masterpiece for 10 years and then release it the kind of person who can do that is very very rare i don't think yeah, it's
0: all so i think it's all momentum isn't it and that has seems like the biggest momentum killer ever because spending that amount of time on yeah just one project i mean i've kind of fallen for that myself and in the end i just would abandon the thing because yeah got stuck in that perfectionist kind of rot with it and just yeah whatever sort of energy it had just went mm. so the only way you can regain that is just in the thing and starting something else and then you're kind of back on the track again
1: mm. but so many of us won't do it so many of us won't mm. won't even do what you do put in well it used to be one article a week but putting three articles out a week mm-hmm. when you're doing three articles a week there's kind of a good enough quality to them isn't there they're not they're not, yeah. they're not rarely they're going to be masterpieces but all of them are going to be good
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and you've got to be comfortable with that but so many people aren't comfortable with the fact of just producing good enough work consistently and they want the masterpieces consistently yeah and it just ain't the way it works it just isn't
0: no i think i found the thing with me is that um Like, I absolutely need deadlines. And not only do I need deadlines, I need, like, terrifyingly short deadlines. Like, I've not got enough time to do this.
1: Yeah, I'm the same.
0: Um, And so, yeah, you're right. You might not necessarily create masterpieces under that pressure. But for me, it's either something that will get done because I have to do it. Or if I've got all the time in the world, nothing will get done.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So if it's a choice between something that's pretty good or nothing, you have to do it that way.
1: And then in amongst that, 100 pieces or 200 pieces you've produced there might be 10 or 20 masterpieces Mm -hmm. because you were incredibly inspired that day or you just did a good piece just the law of Mm -hmm. probability will tell you that you've done a good piece and Mm -hmm. and then all you need to do is just take those pieces and do something else with them yeah exactly but people just don't want to do the shit stuff or not even the shit stuff just the average stuff i i changed my attitude completely to that when i started doing the doodles and it just isn't even they're not even about the quality there's just the 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 thing is to get it done and i know that the quality might be there somewhere around the corner and recently i've been cataloging them all so Mm -hmm. i've got 900 of them or something um and i was looking back at them cuz we we're, we're putting them into a book so in in the in the daily visual community we're making a collective book and each of us are going oh, to put, nice. each of us are going to put 10 visuals in there and i was looking back at them and I, I i was just flicking through them from the very first day and thinking oh man that's pretty clever oh that's good oh wow that's good as well and even just as i got to the first 100 or 200 i'd found 10 or 20 things that i completely forgotten that I did that were really cool and inspired and really creative out of that 200.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: But that I'm I'm cool with those averages because most people wouldn't even get to those 20 because they tried to make the 20 things instead of the making the 200 things first. Mm-hmm. I, I, I say it all the time, but people just still don't even seem to realize it. It's constantly pisses me off that, <laughs> People try to be perfect instead of just getting it done. Uh, Yeah. mm.
0: Yeah, I think people just like the, um, yeah, like that romantic idea of somehow just creating a masterpiece and it takes forever and all the struggle and all that kind of stuff. But I think when you actually start doing it seriously, it feels it doesn't work that way. It's just a little daily bit of just chiseling away at the thing.
1: Yeah. And, and even if you look at any of the stories really of the people who have made masterpieces mm-hmm. that have taken years they've been working on it every single day or they've been working on it regularly and the, and they've, yeah. been, they've been making that thing for making that thing for 10 or 15 years and it's been a daily thing constantly over and over and over and over so it, it's still exactly the same thing but most people think uh, the way that they look at the masterpiece thing is that they're going to work on it every now and again, um, but it just doesn't. It just doesn't work creatively. It doesn't work for me either. I get no, no. I get bored of a project quickly. You're probably getting bored of seeing all the essays thing that we're trying to put together, aren't you? Already, <laughs> you just want to.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just want to get onto the get onto the next thing, which. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be completely complacent, but when you hear all this writing advice um, about, you know, how the first draft's shit and it's all editing and so on, because that hasn't really been my experience. I know mean, if that makes me an outlier or if a lot of people, you know, aren't real <clears throat> practitioners who say all this thing, but yeah, that doesn't necessarily chime with what I've found at all.
1: Is it because you've just done a lot of it though? Or has it always Maybe. been
0: like that? maybe i I guess what happens is the more you do these things um the more you kind of internalize i don't know like how structure works and uh, grammar and paragraph and all that kind of thing i think what happens is you internalize it so you're almost editing in real time as you go and so that means when you actually get to the end the first time which is essentially the end of your first draft you're pretty much done Like, I mean, for example, being an idiot today, I was drafting something, and instead of just saving it, I sent it. So (laughs) instead of sending something out on Sunday, I sent it out today, which was, like, the first draft. And even then, that's, like, most of the way there. And that was, like, two hours or something I put into that, three hours.
1: Yeah. I'm the same with nearly everything I do, but Mm -hmm. I... I, uh... I've always wondered why it is. I don't know if whether it's a lack of patience of wanting to actually edit things. Um or there's a bit of a thrill. I, I think there's a bit of a thrill with it, particularly when I'm I'm doing podcasts like like this podcast. Normally this is just me rambling about shit for ten minutes, but that's that's always done in one take.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because there's there's a there's a danger to it when it's done in one take. Uh, just, just like live radio, I think yeah. that there's a there's a palpable danger to it, and it, it's, it's maybe not even it's quite intangible for a lot of people, but for the for the radio host or for the person that's actually recording it, it is actually quite it feels quite dangerous because you've only got one shot at it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I think it's the same when you're writing as well that if if you you're doing it in one take, doing it in one thing there's kind of a there's a feeling of danger and a feeling of freewheeling with it a little bit and it, it's kind of a almost like improvising in, in jazz music or something like that there's mm. there, there's just a there's just a feeling of it, it it's got to be done in the moment because when the moment's gone you can't go back to it i've I've written you've lost
0: interest when yeah. it was you've lost it yeah
1: yeah i've written so many pieces like that that i've just never published because i got halfway through them and i got interrupted or i got bored or whatever yeah, yeah. and and if I do I just delete it I just don't I don't try and force it I don't try and t- return to it I have often thought is that the right attitude or not I, d- I don't know but it's just the way that I work I just can't go back to it and I'll, I'll go back and edit it for basic grammar stuff but I used to try the way of, of doing it where a lot of the writing advice says you, you write the, the shitty first draft and then you you reorder it and you think about a, a catchy intro and I can't do it. No. It, it, it feels like you're trying to, I don't know, it, it feels like you've made a cake or something and, and the cake is there and it's like 95% there and now I've got to take the middle out of it and just examine the middle and put the middle back in again. It, it feels really artificial to me when you... Mm-hmm start trying to fuck around with it like that it just doesn't jive with the the way that i work and i think maybe some of it is as well the thing that you've spoken a lot about before is that just the most of the people that's giving writing advice just aren't that good writers
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, i don't know it's hard to say isn't it but
1: um i've always thought of it like um a good writer is like a good speaker speaker a good mm-hmm. orator the 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 skills are very similar and i think you can tell when somebody has written something like they would speak it in and i don't necessarily mean using the same verbiage or anything but mm-hmm. it feels like you you are reading a speech almost you can almost imagine them saying it to you you can tell when somebody's done that versus when somebody has followed the advice Kept all the sentences short, giving it a hook at the beginning, giving it a, a big crescendo ending at the end and uh-huh. it's all formal- formulaic, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I was gonna say exactly if you do um yeah, if you do write in that kind of way you, you are going by guidebooks and you are inevitably gonna resort to formula, which as a reader the first time you encounter the formulas, that's gonna be good and interesting, but then the more and more you read, you see the same playbook every time. It's like you know, when you read those non fiction books, which you're like, they've got the story at the start of the chapter, and then study, 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 conclusion, next chapter. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I just think any kind of um, I just think any sort of art is like performance art, it should be an actual you going and performing even if there's no audience. I think, you know, if you're writing something, you sit down, you've got a set amount of time, you perform, you see what happens. Same as with music, same as with painting, same as with anything. Mm. Because it's only from that sort of performing when you're, you know, either really pressed for time or you're kind of going outside of your comfort zone. It's only that that gives it any sort of energy that's going to make it interesting um, yeah, to the audience, because I think that kind of risk is palpable. And that's what makes it exciting.
1: I think I think only when you do that as well, you figure out your style too.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: And if you don't do that, if you don't make it feel a bit dangerous, you just follow the formulas what everybody else follows. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, you might build an audience, but you're just making boring shit. Yeah. But that that's the challenge though, isn't it? It's telling somebody, look, do it this way, Nobody's going to give a shit, and you shouldn't give a shit about anybody giving a shit, but you'll find your way of doing it. Or follow this advice you'll build an audience of 50,000 people on Twitter, but then when you've built the audience, all they'll want is more of the thing that's Farm Lake that you've been doing to build the audience. Which way do you yeah. go? Yeah, exactly some people can rationalize with themselves and follow the second option but i'd argue deep down then they know it they know it they feel it Mm -hmm. the david prells of the world you you can sense just just a deadness behind his eyes (laughs) there just isn't soul to anything that he does i know i know recently on on twitter he started using lots of different media so Mm -hmm. he he started making videos and doing pieces to camera and he started using visuals and things like that as well and he started writing tweets in a little bit of a different way so he kind of he was trying to do all this mixed media but i was looking at it and it was just it was just flat creatively Mm -hmm. it was getting a lot of likes getting a lot of retweets So who am I to say any of this? But you look at it, and it's just flat creatively. It's dead. It is dead behind Mm. the eyes, all the stuff that he was doing. But how the fuck do you tell somebody like David Perel, yeah, all your content's doing amazing, mate, but it's just dead behind the eyes? (laughs) Yes. Do, Do you think most people would even care when they've got to that point? I don't know. I, I'm, mm. I, I'm sure he does. I'm sure deep down somewhere he does. He knows it. But maybe he doesn't know what it is. Uh, do, do you know Do you know what do I you, mean? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. That's yeah. soul. That's, that's soul. Uh, so,
0: like I said, like I said do you reckon it could be a case of um, someone who's gone down that way and is now trying to find more style and more of these kind of things. But I guess in the same way you can... Train yourself to perform in a certain sense, you can also train yourself to perform in another sense, and you just kind of, yeah, you just learn these patterns, I suppose.
1: Yeah. And it's,
0: just trying to train yourself out of that is, is quite difficult.
1: Well, it's a little bit like um, ACDC, for example. Mm-hmm. They've got a formula, they've made the same album over and over. The formula is very good. I love ACDC, but it's a little bit dead behind the eyes versus somebody like who can i think of um sleaford mods you've probably never heard Mm. them
2: yeah yeah, i
1: know i know uh very i want to say very niche but they're not anymore they're very popular now um very kind of subversive almost like a cross between joy division and punk or something like that they're doing it their own way, and it it and because it's got that punk feel, it's it's very alive, and it's it again that word is dangerous. It feels dangerous. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not it's not really that dangerous, but it feels it. But those two things, they're, they're completely different to each other. I don't know if one's right or wrong, but I would suggest that ACDC know that they're following the formula, just like the James Clears and the David Perells of the world they know they're following the formula. And I wonder maybe if David Perel looks at the things he does and just thinks, well, it's just to get me more students into the rite of passage course. Uh, and this is making me millions, so I don't really care. Um, it, I guess it's the argument versus seeing it as art versus content, isn't it? And if you, mm-hmm. you, you're seeing it as content, you're just seeing it as a a means to an end, maybe you don't look at it that
0: way. Yeah. I think that's why I'm kind of really pressed that distinction because I never really heard anyone talking about it before I started talking about it. And to me, they seem absolutely poles apart. I think both can be valid. But I think there's people who are trying to do one but acting like the other. And that's what just makes it um, absolutely maddening, you know? Mm. So, so, yeah, I mean, it, I think if you're... If you make content with your eyes open, that's that's fine. You could say it's a little bit cynical, but if you actually know what you're doing and what that entails and you're all happy with that and you carry on, it becomes more like a job. And I think that's, you know, that's fine as far as it goes. But I think what happens is that, um, because this advice has been floating around for so long online, is that people who want to be more of an artist, let's say, look up advice, on how to write and what you learn is how to write content. And as as we've said, you've got the performance aspect of art, which is a lot more free versus the absolute formula of content. I think a lot of people um just fall for the formula angle and yeah, it just completely deadens you if that if what you're trying to do is art.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. I I don't think I've got anything else to say on that. i've completely removed myself from it now i I wrote a piece about it a while ago just saying Mm -hmm. i've reached audience building retirement and and i'm just not even bothered about this this kind of thing anymore Uh, and it's annoying for me to see people still doing it but there's a just get to a point like you did where you're just shouting into a void and you look like the crazy person. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Nobody else seems to be able to see the things that you can see, so you just stop saying the things, um, so you're welcome at dinner parties again.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, the irony is is that I, I probably should do some of that content because I've now got no audience, at least on Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah it goes to show that the content stuff works and if you're just doing whatever it doesn't really but it's it's more fun i could never imagine writing a thread you know imagine writing a thread with like seven points can you imagine
1: yeah i've, tr- I've tried it i were terrible at them <laughs> yeah and 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 for no obvious reason either that's what really frustrated me when i tried to write them that i thought i'd written good threads but nobody cared and yeah. there was nothing different from my threads to their threads, but mine weren't working, and I and I, mm. I, and I couldn't I couldn't work it out. I, I remember seeing because I was trying to do it because one of my friends on Twitter he grew from about twelve thousand followers to about sixty thousand followers in two two months. I think it was, and all he did was write threads, mm-hmm. uh, and it it really it really annoyed me. Seeing it, <laughs> B- because I, c- I could just see what he was doing. I I know I know this. The, they say you should be, you know, you should be supportive of your friends and things like that, and you should be. Thank you though. Thank you though. <laughs> I I can't do it. I just get annoyed when people get more success than me. So <laughs> I, I I saw it. I'm like, these threads are shit, <laughs> but he's, but people are following him left, right, and center. It really annoyed me. And 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 for a while it it, it was almost kind of like a I think that was what prompted my sort of midlife crisis on Twitter was, was seeing this and thinking well what is the alternative Craig how can you do do some of this without feeling like you're selling your soul I guess without getting dead mm-hmm. behind the eyes mm-hmm. uh, and I I just kind of doubled down on on just being me really which is also mm-hmm. stupid content advice but i just i, I just kind of went fuck it and just started just typing whatever started performing really and seeing seeing what worked for me yeah. and, and what didn't yeah uh, until i got to the point where i didn't care about the numbers anymore but i do think there is a balance because i i now feel that on twitter i've gone too far the other way this is that this is the dan- this is the danger of it hmm but what happens, what's happened with me is that you have a few bad days, whatever, you know, you have a few bad days where nobody likes your tweets and things like that. Then the algorithm just penalizes you for a week or so. Mm-hmm. So all of the next week, you think everything you're making is not very good, but it's actually just that the, the algorithm's seen that you've had less engagement, so it's giving you less engagement. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to kind of think about that again as well then and think, th- th- this is where it really starts fucking with your mind. You you think you, you're you doing good things, but nobody's noticing or caring. But it isn't that nobody's noticing or caring. It's purely the fact that nobody's seeing the things that you're making because mm-hmm. the algorithm isn't showing them. So I, I had to kind of take another step back again and think, right, the, the numbers don't matter. None of this matters. As long as mm-hmm. you feel like you are kind of feel creatively fulfilled that's all that matters as long as you know you've done the things that you wanted to do or say that's all Mm -hmm. that matters and it was only kind of then when i kind of got peace with myself to to do it but most people give up when people don't care basically yeah like you you've had to go back on twitter you've got 500 or 600 followers or something most people wouldn't let their ego do that after they've had five thousand followers uh, but you you kinda you do kind of still need it to promote your your content and and things like that and I think to some extent it's worth being part of the game
2: mm-hmm.
1: I know you tried to stay out of it, but I think it's worth being part of the game and playing it a little bit so people can still find you playing it your own way that was a long rambling monologue that I gave there but you know what I mean
0: felt like you had to vent but but yeah the interesting thing you mentioned there to kind of take it back to the start is that as this increasingly decentralised stuff starts to happen as we'd hope this web 3 thing being reliant on algorithms becomes becomes less of a feature you just have to build this core audience Yes. And, you know, It would be more of a private, more of a discord type situation and you kind of build out from there. And so, yeah, you attract the people who like you for you rather than um, playing those lowest common denominator sort of audience building games. And then that means that, yeah, you can make um, weirder and more interesting and more challenging stuff because you don't need the same amount of numbers, which is to go back to... The point I was saying how, you know, if you're um, publishing the mainstream where you need to sell a hell of a lot of books to make a living, but if you're getting that direct money, then it's a lot less, which means you need less of an audience, which means you can be much more, like, esoteric. I think that whole, that general principle seems to apply to everything increasingly, which is what makes all this new tech so exciting.
1: Mm, I 100% agree. And that, that's what I've kind of settled on. I've started... Mm-hmm. Some of the bets that I made a year and a half ago have started to pay fruition on, think, mm-hmm. on thinking of some of these things. Particularly one of the, the things that I thought very early on, and we've discussed this before, is that some, some of the things that I make aren't easy to understand at first.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I bettered that if I made that decision to do that with the visuals eventually i'd bring people along to spend a little bit, bit more time looking for the things that i was hiding in them yeah that's proven true but it's taken a year and a half of pretty much nobody caring for that to become true so it i always think that there's the, there's those two different games you can play you can you can play the all the engagement games at the beginning, build a, f- a big following and make meaningless shite and be stuck in that world forever or take the hit at the beginning, have no audience, have nobody caring and make meaningful shite. Uh, and <laughs> it's a choice you've got to make, but it's a choice that nobody tells you that you've got to make. And a, yeah. lo- a lot of people by default end up in the first bucket. and. Mm-hmm they they don't even realise that they've ended up there uh, and the, and then they stay there and then they quit because they're making meaningless shite.
0: Exactly. I think meaningful shite should definitely be the title for this. <laughs> you kind of nailed it there, yeah. But yeah, it's, I don't know, I mean, I guess, um, I guess prior to social media, obviously people didn't measure things in metrics so they didn't care. So I think you just have to go back to more of that um, yeah. kind of a mentality which is purely driven by, you know, am I getting closer to making a living doing this?
1: Hard on the ego, though, isn't it? Yeah. That's the hard but,
0: part. But, but I guess it only is if you sort of focus, um, yeah, if you focus on those metrics, which I know everything drives you to try and do that, but there is still ultimately at least a little bit of free will. You know, you can use various... Um, plugins and stuff to kind of turn that stuff off and then just go. Yeah. You just need to go by, um, what humans are actually telling you what feedback you get from people, which again is another important part of this like private community building sort of aspect is that's what you get from that. And that's what's invaluable.
1: Is that a toothbrush in your hand?
0: Pencil. Oh,
1: (laughs) 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 yeah. Yeah. I, I I agree. I think that's so, it. Yeah.
0: so yeah, it's just playing the wrong game, you know, looking at the wrong um, the wrong set of numbers because it's those numbers that get you addicted to all these platforms, but in doing so you just completely de skill yourself and so even if you were perhaps capable of making art at one point over time you just become completely content brained and that's been lost.
1: I just I can't stop thinking about that bit in that amusing ourselves to death book where it, it's talking about people sitting down for upwards of 7 hours yes to 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 listen to lectures and I just can't stop thinking about that and mm-hmm. I I think we can get back to that if you train people to want to do that
0: and the people who gave the lectures as well like someone would just speak off the cuff for an hour and any other person had a whole hour to give a rebuttal and then back. But yeah, so everyone, whether it be speakers or listeners, just having that kind of phenomenal attention span is incredible, yeah.
1: Mm. In in the, the last book I wrote, The Magic Visual, I almost feel a little bit embarrassed about some of the parts of the book now because of the attitude that I had when I was writing it. Mm-hmm. Because it was in the early days of doing the the doodles on twitter and i repeatedly talk about in the book about how people's attention spans are very short and you need to make work that gets noticed very quickly
0: i actually pander to that
1: yeah uh, Mm. and i actually think yes that's a valid tactic but now i actually think that you shouldn't do that um and and the the things that i've been making ever since i've ever since i finished the book have proven that you shouldn't pander mm-hmm. of pro- so since writing that book I, I spoke about the destroy your audience stuff and I, I started doing the the wednesday audio and i've just completely stopped caring about all that kind of thing and i think that's also a valid thing to talk about as, as well not pandering to an audience mm-hmm. and a- almost getting into this like uh sadomasochistic relationship with with your audience where you tell them that you don't want them and when you say that they want you even more. Um but I don't know how I would have talked about that in that book so
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I guess you had to write that book to come to that realisation to get that sort of stuff out of your system. And yeah, I guess if you're not kind of at least somewhat embarrassed by what you wrote in the past and you're not really growing, and that's worse than the other.
1: Mm, yes, that's true. That's true. I I haven't worked out yet, though, whether I have grown or I have regressed. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out.
0: <laughs> well, well, i to say it depends on what you're looking at. If you're talking about in terms of... um success is defined by these platforms and yeah you've massively regressed you know you should have (laughs) you should be on like 10 or twenty thousand by now but i guess in terms of um as a person you stop playing the game and let's be honest pretty much everyone on those platforms is addicted to them to to a greater or lesser extent that's the that's the big unspoken elephant in the room
1: Mm -hmm. and i can 100 percent say without lying that i'm not i'm not addicted Mm -hmm. i'm not addicted to them which which is nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's that that gives you the mental sort of bandwidth and attention span to make more interesting stuff. And then I guess you put that out there, and then hopefully in, that in turn slightly elevates um, a potential audience, and then you can go to other places and go off and do better and more interesting things, which again ties to this point of things are going to become increasingly uh, decentralised.
2: Mm,
1: i I think i think it does and i think a lot of the stuff i've made since has been more human as well Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, has been a lot more um, more about me just being me and not trying to be something else and I, i think there's there's been quite a there's been quite a nice feel to that particularly with this this podcast it's it's been just the the magic of somebody leaving a message and you replying to it uh and you know having having interaction with actual people in an audio yeah. format is 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 nice and what i mean by that is when somebody sends a message in and i, I read it out i take the piss out mm-hmm. of them or whatever that that's actually nice that kind of yeah. thing that kind of thing doesn't happen enough on on the internet it's just a you know gm good morning and and, and that's yeah. and that's it it's it's gone Or
0: it's all very quid pro quo, like someone's saying something to you, but that's because they want the retweet or some other sort of outcome rather than being actual conversation. And yeah, that's the difference. It's doing something as an end in itself versus doing something as a means to an end. And that's the definition between art versus content.
1: Yes. And I think we'll still be having these conversations in 10 years' time. Mm -hmm. and. And we'll still be around doing the same things, but a lot of the other people we're talking about won't be doing it anymore. That's my bet. Yeah,
0: yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna burn out, aren't you? If you, yeah, I mean, maybe we're just a different temperament, but I can't see how you can just do that amount of grinding and then grind in repetition on the same set number of themes without just, yeah, without burning out. I don't get how you're doing.
1: No. I don't. That feels like a good ending.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think we're there. Have you got any um, listener missives?
1: <laughs> or oh, do you, do you want to hear them?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I want to hear one. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, hold on. These these usually come up at the beginning. <sighs> oh yeah. <laughs> Hello again. It is I, Craig. I don't know why I wanted to say it like that, but it's just a feeling I got. The end of this episode doesn't include the listener missives. This is episode 16.5. If you want to listen to the listener missives, listen to episode 16. I know it's confusing. I don't care. Either go listen to them or don't. Anyway, this is the end of the episode. We're done. And I'll see you next Wednesday. You lucky devil, you. You got two episodes today of quality hours of content. You lucky, lucky devil.